0: This morning we we'll to be in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and we're looking at these parables under the idea of being enough, this idea that we keep looking to things like our possessions, or our careers, or our relationships, or our wealth. We look to these things to make us feel an internal validation, the idea that we are enough. And Jesus has systematically throughout these parables kind of addressed this very human foible. And today he's going to address that one more time for us. So if you would, you can find it on the slides, obviously, on page uh, 10 in your bulletin, or you can welcome to turn there in your smartphones. We're looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. who cry to Him day and night, will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace that is ours through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that You have chosen to reveal Yourself to us in speech, in words, that we might know your truth. That we might know the truth of ourselves. And we might know your gospel, Lord, is the solution. We pray, Lord, even now, that you would show us once again your grace, that you would overcome our natural tendencies to seek to impress you with our works. And instead, you would once again help us to rest by faith alone on the work of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to get into the Wayback Machine for a couple of us. This is kind of one of those generational differences. They haven't done this in a long time. But I want to remind some of you of a very popular children's cereal and children's commercial. Okay, I've got a picture of this up here. Yeah, and this is a generational difference. They stopped doing this commercial about 10-ish years ago. How many of you in your mind, you can hear the tagline right now? They're always after me, Lucky Charms, Right? I want to see your hands if you, can, if you remember this, right? It's a generational thing, right? They, they quit doing it. Some people are like, what? they they always after to be lucky Charms. Why are these kids always chasing down this poor leprechaun? Which, by the way, I found out this week his name is actually Lucky, the leprechaun is his name. So they're always chasing him down. Why? Why are they going after this poor guy? Because that's the myth of the leprechaun. If you catch them, if you wear them down and grab them, They will grant you gifts. They will grant you wishes. And I bring this up because this is very often how we in church world, how many times we think of God. And texts such as today's parable speak directly to such a false idea about God. Now, Remind us about parables. Jesus makes up these stories. He uses these stories to kind of teach us things about God. And today we're going to see a great story about the character of God. And it's the character of God that encourages us to pray. Now, if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're probably thinking, well, great, I can just scroll social media for 30 minutes because I don't do the whole praying thing. But even though prayer is a Christian activity, this passage tells us more about the loving character of God than about the activity of praying. So if you're still investigating Christianity, or maybe you're in a relationship with someone who's doing that, this is a great place to help us see what Jesus tells us God is really like. And so before we get started, I want to sum up the parable very quickly. So Jesus points to the gospel to encourage us to pray. But instead of hearing the gospel as encouragement, so often we think that God has to be cajoled. And so we read this parable and we think that Jesus is calling us to try harder, which gets us to our theme for today, which is this. The gospel empowers our praying unless our daddy issues get in the way. We'll work through that together. So it starts out with what I'm calling in verse 1, so tired. I love the candor and the authenticity of the Bible here. You know, the Bible does not see this need to engage in PR, let's call it, and make Jesus all look all nice and shiny and to make his disciples look like they're inerrant and have no problems. Instead, the human author of this, Luke, he owns for us all what is common, that it is typical for disciples to get worn out in praying, literally to grow weary, or we could translate it to be so tired of it. And I hope that we too can own that truth, that it is sometimes very easy to grow tired in prayer. Prayer is so easy in one sense, isn't it? But if you really have your heart wrapped up in something, if there's an aspect of your life you really need something to change, and you keep on asking, you keep on asking, it can be very wearisome when you don't hear an answer, isn't it? Or when you keep not getting the answer you want. It can be very weary. We can grow tired. Jesus wants to help even out those peaks and valleys in our prayer life with this parable. He wants to help us see that to be constant in prayer without growing weary comes from understanding the character of God. So he anchors our our persistence in prayer in the grace of the gospel, not in in challenging us to try harder. But we church folk, we often miss that in this parable, in this story, because of our daddy issues, which we'll see in verses 2 through 5. So Jesus uses character to represent extremes here. Now remember when you come to parables, Jesus makes these up. There is no judge. There is no widow. He's making them up so every detail matters. And specifically here, he's making them up to be extremes, to be caricatures of things in their culture to help them understand. So the judge... Is privileged. He is powerful. He's the top of the social food chain when it comes to the things that matter in that culture. We'll call them social motivators. You know, your reputation with people and your reputation with God. He point blank says, "I don't care about that." Negatively, we would call this person a sociopath. Positively, we'd be like, "Well, at least they can't be manipulated, right? They can't be bribed. It's hard to get leverage on someone who's completely apathetic about these things." The other extreme. We have a widow. In the ancient Near East, the widows were the most powerless of the powerless. They were not allowed to own property. There was no official means of support if they didn't have any men in their life. And the fact that she comes to the judge without a male advocate indicates to the original hearers she has no one. She's utterly bereft. She has no privilege. She has no power. Just as an aside, by the way... This extreme vulnerability of of widows in the ancient Near East is one of the reasons that one of God's favorite self-descriptions from the oldest parts of the Bible is God reveals himself as a protector of widows. God cares deeply about the weakest of the weak, and he is honored to call himself very early on in the Scriptures a protector of widows. In other words, God is completely unlike this judge. He cares deeply for the vulnerable and for the needy. So Jesus tells us this widow keeps coming to the judge asking for justice. Now those of us who've been around church world for a while, that's one of those words, as soon as you say justice, we immediately start categorizing justice. This is not the normal word that we can think of, like if you've been around church world, the Apostle Paul. Writing most of the epistles in the New Testament. The word he uses for justice is very much a legal word. It's very much about balancing out scales. This is not the usual New Testament word for justice. This is more often translated the idea of protection, the idea of assistance or help. So she's coming to the judge and she's saying, Help me. Or we could say, Make it right. She's not necessarily asking for legal justice like we think of it. But this judge, Jesus says, can't be bothered, so he ignores her. Cast her aside. However, the next morning he's sitting down in his breakfast nook. He's reading the Jerusalem Post and drinking his fair trade Samaritan coffee, eating, of course, a locally sourced organic fig pastry like people in his demographic would eat. And suddenly, banging on the window of his breakfast nook is this widow. Judge, make it right. Help me. Later, he's out on the golf course with the DA and the mayor. And here comes this widow, traipsing right across the fairway. It must have got past security somehow, right? Judge, make it right. That night, he's brushing his teeth. And all of a sudden, you notice the motion lights go on in his backyard. And he looks, and there's that widow in his backyard. Judge, help me. Make it right. And it works. Boys and girls who are still here, let's look at your version on page 11 there. I want to look at verse 4 and 5. Here's, here's how I put it for you. He tried to ignore her, but after a while, he thought... I don't care about doing the right thing, but this woman will not stop bothering me. I will help her just so she'll go away and leave me alone. She has worn me down. (laughs) Boys and girls here, it's kind of funny that this man describes himself that way, isn't it? He looks in the mirror and goes, I'm kind of a jerk. (laughs) Most people don't talk to themselves that way, do they? It's kind of silly. I love how Jesus is being a little humorous here. But for all of us, there's something else. By framing it this way, Jesus gives us a hint where he's going with the story. Here is a judge who's he's not only a terrible person, he's a really bad judge. No witnesses, no evidence, no trial. He just up and decides to grant her help because she has bothered him enough. I don't want to deal with you. Here, fine, here you go. And in this moment, he technically gives her grace rather than giving her law. And so we get the common surface explanation we probably all heard. This widow stood up to demand that he make it right. And even though she was repeatedly denied, like a famous progressive senator, nevertheless, she persisted. And in her persistence, she received grace. And so too, if we will just be persistent in our prayers, if we will give God no peace... If we will bother him enough, if nevertheless we will persist, we too can get God's help. Amen. Let's pray and go to lunch, right? Okay. And we readily accept that explanation about that's how God works because it fits in with how we think the world works, doesn't it? You know, our culture, our society, we have thrown off most ideas of there being a supernatural out there any kind of shackles of belief in spiritual in general. But as, as scholars and pundits keep pointing out, we have this innate desire to connect with something bigger than us, what, what anthropologists would call a, a transcendental desire. And so what do we do? We seek fulfillment. We seek purpose. We seek meaning. We seek a feeling of satisfaction, of being enough. We seek that, all those transcendent desires, we seek those from the non-spiritual things around us. And the biggie for Christians and non-Christians, the biggie for those of us in this room, is very often work or career. In case you think I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, let's do a thought experiment. I want you to think about the last time you thought about or had a conversation about, is your life successful or not at this point? When's, When's the last time you were musing on that question? I'll wager that your career progress, or lack thereof, was center in those thoughts, in that conversation. Because usually a conversation about success or failure in life assumes we're talking about work or career, doesn't it? Which means our jobs aren't just jobs. They're an identity, which is a transcendental idea. And because we all swim in that water, When we pick up a Bible and we read a story such as this, we come with this baggage of putting religious desires onto our job, and we read this parable, and so we readily put God into the position of our boss, and if we bug him enough, we'll get the promotion. And so we look at this widow who nevertheless persisted, and we think, you go, girl. I'm going to pray like that so God will be gracious to me too. And the problem with this common understanding of this parable is it shows that we have daddy issues when it comes to God. We assume, not that He's our Heavenly Father, but instead He's just something up there that really doesn't love us, that really doesn't want to give us good things, and so He has to be badgered, cajoled, bothered into granting us help just like this judge was. In other words, the common understanding of this parable Makes God a leprechaun. And we're always after his lucky charms. You didn't think I was going to come back to that, did you? See, and that's not the picture of God that Jesus presents to us. That's us projecting our daddy issues onto what Jesus says. You know, I quit um, Twitter over a year ago for personal reasons. Um, And I remember one of the last tweets I ever was scrolling through to to kill time. It really is just a time suck, by the way. Anyway, um, this mid-level, if that's the right term, celebrity, um, posted this tweet that got her a lot of interaction. Most of it was bad. It was very simple. She just tweeted this. Remember, your life is your fault. It's like, okay, what do you mean by that? And basically people like jumped on it. Like, you have all this privilege and wealth and you're a celebrity. How dare you? People out there try. She basically like, the sum total of your life is basically the sum total of your choices. That's what she, I'm not saying she's right. That's what she was saying. And when we make this parable about the widow's persistence, we fall into the trap of thinking the exact same thing. My life is my fault. If things aren't the way I want, I haven't persistently prayed for life to go the other way. If this thing didn't work out, it's because I didn't persistently pray enough. Whatever it is, if I don't have it, it's my fault because I haven't prayed hard enough for it. And that's terrible. If I were a non-Christian, I wouldn't want any part of that. And our neighbors don't. i tell you that right now. But the good news is that's not Christianity at all. And Jesus confronts this misconception. So instead of having our daddy issues, bringing them into the text and reading them right back out of the text, assuming we're not living up to God's expectations, we need to try harder, instead of all that, Jesus shows us what I'm going to call a sideways grace, starting in verse 6. Because the focus of this parable is actually not on the effort and persistence of the widow. The real focus is on the worthiness of God. In verse 6, Jesus points us to the words he put on the lips of the judge when he says, hey, hear what the judge says, which was what? I don't care about this woman. I just don't want to be bothered. And Jesus stops the story and goes, did y'all catch what he just said? It reminds me of a very famous comedian from a previous generation he's currently in trouble so i'm not going to say his name but he has this great bit where he's talking about all these kids he has and he walks into the room and the kids are fighting and he just like tells them all shut up be quiet and the one who's been wrong starts advocating for why they're right this is it stop i don't want justice i want silence and every parent's like amen brother right and jesus when we read this story that's this judge he only gives grace instead of law because he didn't want to be bothered anymore. And Jesus uses him as a contrary or sideways example to demonstrate what God is not. So the simple version is you are not supposed to come to this parable, look at the woman and identify with her say, I, I must be this person. You no, know, You're supposed to look at the judge and go, that is so not what God is like. That's completely wrong. That's the point of the parable. Which is why, look at me at verse 7. He asks the question, he says, Will not God give justice to his elect? We could literally translate that, Won't God help his favorites? Yeah, God has favorites. We can talk about that later if you need to. See, Jesus' focus here is not on the persistence of the asker. The focus is on the heart of the one being asked. The judge is like God in that he gave grace rather than law but he's completely unlike God because God gives grace because he wants to. Not because we've cajoled, battered, beaten him down, tackled him, pried open his hand, and got His lucky charms. See, Jesus asked the question this way. He says, if a bad judge will give grace over law for his own comfort, how much more will our God give us grace over law for our comfort? See, Jesus wants us to see this contrast between the two judges, not the persistence of the widow. And we have to come to that conclusion because in verse 7, Jesus says that his people already cry out day and night. I don't know how to be more persistent than that, do you? So he already says you all are as persistent as you can be. So he's not calling you to more persistence. Instead, Jesus wants to encourage our prayers by reminding us that our prayers are not overcoming God's reluctance. They're laying hold of his willingness. Again, boys and girls, I want to make sure you're with me. Here's how I put it for you. Let's look at your verse 6 through 8 in your text. It says this. Jesus said to them, Did you catch that? Don't you think that God will also help out his favorites who keep asking him? Will he make them wait and wait for an answer? No. He will help them quickly. Boys and girls, it's so simple, isn't it? He says, he's not going to make you wait. He'll answer quickly. But adults like to complicate things, don't they, boys and girls? Adults make things so complicated sometimes. And you know what Pastor Shaw has noticed? Adults like to complicate prayer a lot. Okay, boys and girls, I want to do a thought experiment, and adults, you can play along too. Okay, boys and girls, I want you to imagine. I know this never happens, right? You're playing in your house, You're playing a little rough next to the shelf full of pretty things. You know, everybody has a shelf of pretty things. They're breakable. You can't play with them. They look so intriguing. You want to play with them, you can't play with them. And your mom tells you, don't play so rough next to the shelf of the breakable things. And so like most kids, you ignore that. and You're playing roughly next to the shelf, right? And all of a sudden, you bump up against it, and they start to fall. But you've got like Spider-Man reflexes. You grab one, you grab another, you hope against it, and you stop. But gravity never stops. All of a sudden, they start to fall. And you're like, oh, no. But your mom, your mom is like 11 feet away in the other room. All she has to do is step in and help catastrophe averted. So how do you get your mom into the room? You can do one of two things. You can go, <clears throat> oh, fairest mother, you whose head is twice as far from the ground as mine, whose hands have comforted me in days past. Would you not yet now and comfort me again? I beseech thee. Or Two. Mom, help! See, one of them is an adult prayer, and the other one is a child asking a parent for help. Oh, I said that part out loud, sorry. See, Jesus teaches us, boys and girls, what what mom and dad forget a lot. God is our father. We are his favored. He wants to help us. So just like this widow, judge, help is a really good prayer to a father who loves you. And it's a bad prayer to a judge who just wants you to go away. You know, a prayer that Pastor Sean prays a lot is, Father, help! And as a dad, I would come so fast to that. And Jesus wants to help us adults see that God responds that way too. See, what happens is, We fall into this trap of thinking that it's our persistence that gets God's hand. And so, well, if it's our efforts, what we do, and you know you do this, well, it it must not just be my persistence. I know I need to show God how well I know English. And so I need to make my prayers really fancy, and I need to make them very beautiful prayers. And so instead of saying, God, help, I've got to say it this way. You know, I was praying with my children earlier this week, and one of them, um, it was her turn to start, and so she just goes, hey, God, Today was a really good day. Thanks for organizing things that way. That was, that was really, really nice of you. You don't always do that for me, so I appreciate you did that today. That is a great prayer, and an adult would never pray that way out loud, would they? Ever. But children who understand their father loves them pray very simply. And Jesus wants us to see that. Look with me at verse 8. What does he say? about God. He says he will give justice, help, protection to them speedily. Literally, we could say he will help them very soon. He's trying to convince his readers God is not aloof. He's right there. He's ready to help. See, the judge was visible, but he was unresponsive. Our God is invisible, and so we often assume that means he's also unresponsive because we can't see him. But Jesus comes and says, no, God is very responsive, not because of your efforts, but because of his mercy and grace. He comes quickly. See, Jesus tells us that God doesn't have to be berated to answer, that blessings don't have to be pried out of his hand, and that he is so ready to answer us speedily. That is real motivation, not to lose heart in prayer which, as we saw in verse 1, is the point of the whole thing. See, this is gut-check time for Christians. This passage shows us who has daddy issues with God by how do we actually rest in the promise or the hope of verse 1 to pray and not grow weary. How do we rest in that hope? Do we rest in verse 3 through 5, our efforts and our persistence, or do we rest in the gracious speediness of our Father in verse 6 through 8? Where's your heart? Where do you assume the answer comes from? See, that's the same question Jesus ends with at the very end of verse 8 when he basically asks, you know, he says, will the Son of Man find faith? We could actually translate that, you know, who will actually believe what I'm teaching? See, teaching about prayer is a great way to get to fundamental issues, what we really believe. In prayer, we're so often thinking we have to move God's hand, but often he's trying to mold our hearts to see who he really is. Our theology comes out when we pray. An ancient African theologian named Augustine said said this one time, he said, God increases the capacity of our hearts to receive God himself when we pray. He changes our hearts. See, that's why the gospel empowers our prayers, unless our daddy issues turn us towards our efforts. Let me wrap this up. So this widow calls out for protection. She calls out, make it right, help me. And most sources say at that time that justice comes from what we would today call privilege. It had to be paid for, earned. And so it tended to favor those with resources, which is not a widow. She had really no access to justice. And in the Christian story, you know, grace doesn't ignore law, nor does grace deny justice. Rather, the Bible says that God is both just and merciful. One of my favorite verses is from the Psalms where it says that justice and mercy have kissed in God. See, and that's a great picture because God upholds the law while he offers grace to people like us who lack resources. I want to kind of rest and end on looking at verse 7 together, that, that phrase in the middle of verse 7 there. I think we have a slide, yeah. Jesus asked this question, will he delay long over them? We could literally like, kind of rigidly translate that as, will he not push anger away? Or will he not postpone his wrath? Isn't that a great question, Jesus says? He's, gonna, he's just going to push his anger away for you out of grace, And he does that for us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ lived a life of perfect obedience to God's law. Jesus did not ignore God's law. Jesus loved and obeyed God's law fully. And so when he died in our place, he died to pay for our sins, not his sins. He died legally to give us that legal satisfaction, justice. But then in his mercy, he gives that to us for free. We didn't earn that. He gives it to us in his mercy. God gives us the beauty, the perfection, the holiness, the righteousness of Jesus. He gives that to us for free because he wants to. In Jesus, we're actually adopted as daughters and sons. It's as if Jesus comes to us, sees us as an orphan in the alley in rags, and he grabs us, you're my brother, you're my sister, and my dad's going to be your dad too. Come on, let's go meet him. That's the salvation picture he wants us to see here, that God is that gracious. He comes and he grabs us to give us mercy. We think we're chasing him down to get his lucky charms. Really, we're his lucky charm, and he always gets them. See, whereas the widow gave all of her efforts to pry justice from the judge's hand, Jesus said, God grants it to you speedily because Jesus gave all his efforts to earn it for us. So that all we're doing when we pray is saying, Dad, help. And if you want that sort of relationship with the creator God, embrace Jesus as he's offered into the gospel. Cast off everything you've called religion, everything you think Christianity is, cast all that off and just simply place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. And if you've done that years, months ago, Great. Let's cast off trying to impress God with our persistence and our diction and our fancy prayers and rest yet again in the work of Jesus Christ alone and believe that God is for us and doesn't have to be cajoled. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, I confess, I, I default to impressing you. And there's a big part of my heart that just has a hard time believing that you're that gracious and kind and good because I don't deserve it. Lord, I want to believe. Will you help my unbelief? And I pray that for all of us, Lord. We're hardwired to perform and we can't help but project that onto you instead of resting in the performance of Jesus. Lord, would you do your work of grace in all of us, Christian or not? And yet again, as you stood at the door to Lazarus' tomb, would you stand at the door to our hearts and birth life into us in a moment and cause us to believe? Would you do that, Father? We pray, Lord, that as Jesus Christ has been lifted up and shown to be crucified for sinners, raised for a new life, that you would be true to your promise, that he would draw all people to himself. Would you do your work even now, Father, of building your kingdom that we might all together cast aside looking to our efforts and instead embrace Jesus and taste and see that you are good. Lord, would you do this by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.